This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, where the health department reported 117 new fatalities from COVID-19 Thursday. Florida's death toll has reached 10,186. We've also added more than 4,500 new coronavirus cases. That increases the statewide total to more than 588,000. And there are more than 5,000 COVID-19 patients in Florida hospitals right now. Lawyers for the governor and the Department of Education spend an entire day defending the state's order forcing most schools to reopen by the end of the month. Their medical expert says COVID really isn't that much of a threat in schools. There's a whole host of studies that have been done on this, both school openings and school closings. The uh, literature says that school openings and school closings have very little effect on community spread. Children can spread the disease to other children. That can certainly happen. But children don't spread the disease to adults. The trial wraps up today. Donald Trump's former advisor and campaign manager has been indicted on conspiracy charges. And, of course, the case began here in Florida. The state unemployment office is releasing the jobless rate for June today. And while it won't show up on this report, the feds say unemployment filings from Florida are actually on the rise. Good news for Florida honeybees and for anyone suffering from entomophobia. Reports of giant Asian hornets in the Sunshine State are greatly exaggerated. These are definitely not murder hornets here in Florida. There are numerous uh, bees and wasps that look similar to murder hornets, most likely the cicada killer, a pretty large, pretty aggressive looking wasp. They can look similar. It's one of the larger ones, but it's definitely not a murder hornet. Today on Sunrise, a deep dive on a new campaign to convince you to vote no on Florida's Amendment Number 2 in November. This is not to be confused with the Second Amendment that is your gun rights. This is a ballot initiative that will be on the November elections here in Florida. It is a job killer, it will hurt businesses, and it will destroy Florida's economy. So what does it take to destroy Florida's economy? Would you believe an increase in the minimum wage? We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with two Florida women who are trying their best to top Florida man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, August 21st. After two days of legal argument, a lawsuit over the reopening of Florida schools is teed up for a decision today. The Florida Education Association is leading the charge against the Education Commissioner's order, forcing all but three counties to resume in-person instruction by the end of the month. The teachers' union claims that order violates the state constitution and that teachers are being asked to risk their lives because classrooms are not safe. But the state's medical expert, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University, says the research indicates otherwise. There's a whole host of studies that have been done on this, both school openings and school closings. The uh, literature says that school openings and school closings have very little effect on community spread. Children can spread the disease to other children. That can certainly happen. But children don't spread the disease to adults. That's the main main conclusion. So, for instance, uh, the danger that children pose to teachers is much less than you would expect. There are formal guidelines that have been issued over the last three months, multiple times, by the CDC. Do any of those formal guidelines say, thou shalt not open if it's over 5%? No, they, none, none of them say that. Uh, and in fact, quite the opposite, what, they, what, the, what the formal guidelines say over and over again is that it's unsafe not to open schools, and you better have a really good reason not to do it. Because, and, Well, what's your understanding of the concept of why it would be unsafe to not open schools. School is a, is 
obviously it's a fantastic is, is necessary for your education that's that we all know that it's it's a great investment in our kids um, but schools are also places that keep kids safe schools are places where kids get uh, uh, meals but so many many kids their 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 main meals of the day happen at schools the uh, for poor families, it's their main source. Of, for, for the poor kids, it's often their main source of food. Um, schools are places uh, of refuge, where there's counseling. Um, for mental health of kids, it's it's schools are quite important. Uh, the 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 um, yeah. So this 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 is the guidance that the CDC put together. Um, they, this, this is this is utterly uncontroversial. Schools are an enormously good investment, not just in the education of our kids, but in the health of our kids. And preventing them from opening in person altogether prevents kids from having those benefits. You've considered the emergency order, which seeks to cause the option of brick and mortar education to students subject to appropriate health concerns. Do you find any concern with that order in terms of the spread of COVID? Well, I mean, I think, uh, it's the same kind of concern I would have with opening essential businesses. The teachers can spread the disease to each other and the teachers can spread the disease to kids. That can happen if appropriate mitigation isn't taken. What are some of those mitigating practices? Yeah. So like hand washing, um, social distancing when, when feasible, if not feasible, then masks and other, other, other mechanisms to sort of reduce the spread, stuff that we've become all too familiar with in the last few months. Do you believe that Florida schools are prepared to resume in-person education? I think probably most of them are. I mean, I think it's a local decision and lo lo local, uh, locally you got to decide, do I, have, do I have the resources to meet the CDC guidelines? But I don't see why uh, Florida schools would be any different than, than uh, schools around the world. Both sides have rested their cases. They'll be back in court at noon today for final arguments, and the judge is expected issues ruling by the end of the day. Donald Trump's former advisor and campaign manager, Stephen Bannon, has been indicted on conspiracy charges. Prosecutors in New York claim Bannon and three other men defrauded donors in a massive crowdfunding campaign that claimed to be raising money to build the border wall. Now, the case actually began in Florida because that's where the charity was registered. It's called We Build the Wall. The state attorney general's office received complaints from three people, and the attorney general's office turned that over to the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services because they're the agency that regulates charities. They began investigating last year and then turned it over to the FBI. One week after hitting a pandemic low, new unemployment filings in Florida are on the rise. That's a sign the state's economy is still sputtering. The U.S. Department of Labor reports 66,322 Florida workers filed new claims for unemployment assistance in the week that ended August 15th. That's an increase of almost 5,000 from the previous week. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity is releasing the new unemployment figures for July at 10 this morning. June's jobless rate was 10.4 percent, and there were more than a million Floridians on the official unemployment list. If you're searching for a bit of good news, consider this. There is still no sign of murder hornets in the Sunshine State. The Department of Agriculture received several reports of what people thought might be Asian giant hornets, so we put in a call to Communications Director Franco Ripple to ask the tough questions like, what the hell is a murder hornet? <laughs> it's a good question. It's a really scary-looking hornet. Uh, the Asian giant hornet, or commonly known especially in the media as the murder hornet, is the world's largest hornet uh, species. It is uh, often over two inches long. Um, it's got pretty scary black and yellow markings like a yellow jacket. And you don't want to run into one in the wild, for sure. The good news is that you're probably not going to here in Florida. How did the agency get involved in this? 
our agency is heavily involved in entomology, right? In in the uh, the, the study and and the the care of bugs. Uh, you know, as someone who manages apiaries and and beehives here in Florida, um, we have received through social media um, and through our division of plant industry a handful of complaints or reports of potential murder hornet sightings. And I want to uh, emphasize that they're potential um, because, you know, we certainly haven't received any, you know, bodies of bees or anything like that to analyze. The good news is that uh, these are definitely not murder hornets here in Florida. Uh, there are numerous uh, bees and wasps that look similar to murder hornets, most likely the cicada killer, uh, which, as you probably know, Rick, is a, a pretty large, pretty aggressive looking wasp. It can look similar. It's one of the larger ones, but it's definitely not a murder hornet. So we often get uh, complaints and reports and pictures and sightings in our social media. And that's how we decided to put out the uh, the word to people here in Florida. You don't need to worry about this. There have been a handful uh, of, of, uh, of these captured uh, live in Washington state. Uh, and that seems to be where it's contained for now with state and federal agencies uh, looking closely and working closely on it. You know, the, the thing people should know about uh, these murder hornets is, of course, number one, they're not in Florida. They're nowhere near Florida. Even if they were, they don't pose a huge threat to humans. They're far more of a risk for honeybees. We have 650,000 honeybee colonies in Florida. In fact, Florida is one of the top five states for honey production. And so we have to protect our bees. It's very important. Uh, and so it's important that murder hornets, uh, Asian giant hornets, stay away from Florida because they're capable of killing uh, and dismantling honeybee colonies very quickly. If someone does suspect that they see an Asian giant hornet uh, or murder hornet, they should report it to us right away. And the easiest way to do that is to contact our division of plant industry by emailing dpihealthline at fdax.gov, or you can call 1-888-397-1517. And when you do, try to send us as much information as you possibly can, especially a photo. But again, it's most likely going to end up to be a cicada killer or another species of wasp, not the murder hornet. Murder hornets are from Asia, where the bees have already figured out a defense. If one of the giant bugs invades a hive, the bees jump on it, form a ball around the intruder, and begin vibrating to increase their body temperatures. They quite literally cook the hornet. Problem is, American honeybees don't know that trick. They've never had to deal with murder hornets, and a single one can destroy an entire hive. Next up on Sunrise, a deep dive into Amendment 2 with the people who are doing their best to kill the idea of increasing Florida's minimum wage. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN Plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures, and in network with all healthcare providers. You can read the open plan today at fha.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. There are six constitutional amendments on the ballot in November, and the one likely to draw the most attention is number two, the $15 an hour minimum wage amendment. Florida's current minimum wage is $8.56 per hour. Now, if number two is approved, it would raise that to 10 bucks an hour by next September. Then it goes up a dollar a year until September of 2026 when it reaches $15 an hour. That gradual phase in is supposed to cushion the impact on employers, but officials in the hospitality biz say it's a killer. 
The hospitality industry relies on cheap labor and undocumented aliens, so it's no surprise the opposition to Amendment 2 is being led by Carol Dover, who runs the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association. Our industry brings more than $1.2 billion to the state's economy. We also employ over 1.5 million people. So let me tell you a little bit about the ballot amendment two. It will raise Florida's minimum wage to $15 an hour, which is a 77% increase in their payroll. Let's make sure you understand that, 77% increase in the payroll, which will cause our industry to cut jobs, cut benefits, unfortunately have to turn into more of an automated industry with technology, iPads, kiosks that we're seeing pop up everywhere. That's not who we are. We're the hospitality industry. We want to keep our people employed. So one thing that you can learn about this um, is other states that have passed it. We have Seattle, San Francisco, California, We have uh, Washington and Chicago. It has destroyed the industries in those states. Why would Florida want to adopt a public policy that we've already seen destroy other states' economy, other states' jobs, and make small, small businesses go out of business? Dover's basic claim is that Amendment 2 hurts the very people it's supposed to help. Simone Barron works in Seattle. She says their $15 an hour wage actually costs her money because people stopped tipping. The owner added a new service charge to compensate, but he keeps most of it. And as a progressive, I thought it was fantastic. Who wouldn't want to make $15 an hour plus tips on top? We were already making close to $10 an hour plus tips, and now we were going to get a a big raise. I was really for it, but soon after it was implemented, we started seeing the negative consequences of, of that wage hike. Um, And it honestly started before it was even implemented. As soon as it was announced that it had passed, we had customers coming in and saying things like, it's great, you got a raise, $15 an hour, fantastic. And then they wouldn't tip. Um, Or they would leave just a couple bucks on a large bill because they thought we were making a lot of money. But one of the biggest impacts that, um, that really hurt me was the change in pay model. So again, as that wage was rising, employers trying to navigate how they were going to pay us decided that they were going to change how they paid us. And um, in my case, my employer got rid of tipping altogether and implemented a 20% service charge, of which I got a small percentage doled out to me as a commission. It impacted my pocketbook. Um, Not only was I making less money, I suddenly didn't have an opportunity to maximize my income at all because I could only make that small percentage that he gave to me instead of really working a table and going for a large tip on a check. And then after that, we got the loss of hours. Um, Our employers decided to cut back on, you know, suddenly we weren't going to, you know, work a full shift, we were getting caught off the floor early, um, or suddenly brunch wasn't uh, profitable enough, so they cut that service, and then lunch service went away, we were only working dinners, maybe Sundays now were not profitable, so they cut Sundays, so your schedule started to shorten. 
Um, and because of the loss of hours, I had to end up getting a second job. So I ended up working six days a week as opposed to the four days a week between two different jobs just to make the same amount that I usually make. John Horn owns the Anna Maria Oyster Bar, and he believes passage of Amendment 2 would be the end of his business. I've been in the restaurant business in Florida for almost 25 years. I put my heart and my love into my business and my community. This mandatory wage increase is bad for business. And if it's bad for my business, it's bad for my employees. Two thirds of my employees are tipped employees, just like Simone. They're earning two to three times more than minimum wage currently. I can't imagine this going forward where I would have to cut hours, cut shifts, that would absolutely affect my family. All these people that have worked with me, and some of them for 20 plus years, they are family to me. And not only are they family to me, they're family to my customers. I've got regular customers with me three, four, five times a week. And they get to know my staff. They have servers that they probably know better than their own grandchildren. Lord knows they see them more than they see their own grandchildren. And they become family to them. I'm not going to need the number of servers that I have now. So I'll be cutting hours. I'll be cutting shifts. I'll be raising prices. They're not going to be able to afford that. We're going to have less visits from them, less shifts for my servers. It's a vicious spiral that I really don't want to see. We don't want to be forced to increase our minimum wage, cutting jobs, cutting hours, raising prices. COVID has already devastated us. I've invested my blood, sweat, and tears into my business over the last 25 years. I know the large companies, the Amazons, the Walmarts, they can absorb this, but a small business like mine will be crushed. Dover says Horn is not the only one who would shut down. She says the industry is loaded with small businesses that cannot afford to pay more, and most of them are already on the edge because they had to close for the pandemic. We can't even get open. Florida's not built on just all big companies. We have lots and lots of independent operators. And so what we've got to do is first and foremost, do everything we can to help them get their doors open because without a business running, there are no employees. So we, we have to figure out how to navigate through COVID first, get our state open and hope that we can prop our tourism industry back up Right now, this issue would almost guarantee that we're not going to get many of our companies back open. I can tell you thousands of our members who have said, if this passes, it's the last nail in our coffin. That's it. I'm turning in the keys. I'm shutting the doors, turning off the lights. End of story. We can't let that happen. The Restaurant and Lodging Association had been planning a multi-million dollar campaign to oppose the amendment, but they don't have that kind of money now because the entire industry is struggling during the COVID crisis. 60% of the voters have to approve that amendment before it takes effect. Your calendar of events? Well, today is the deadline for political committees to file reports showing their financial activity as of August 14th. The Board of Dentistry holds a conference call at 8. The Board of Osteopathic Medicine meets online at 9. The Board of Clinical Laboratory Personnel meets by conference call at 9. The Department of Economic Opportunity releases July's unemployment numbers at 10. The Acquisition and Restoration Council meets online at 10. And on Saturday, a transition period begins for 10-digit dialing in Northwest Florida. This is part of the process to add a new area code to the 850, which covers the Pensacola, Panama City, and Tallahassee metros and everything in between. The new area code, 
That begins in March. Finally today, it's time to check in with a couple of Florida women who put Florida man to shame. A Florida woman and poll worker in Collier County has been fired for telling a Democrat she couldn't vote in the primary because it was for Republicans only. You may recall the story from Wednesday's podcast. Naples resident Ellen Hemrick was eventually given a ballot, but when she left the polling location, Secretary of State Laura Lee says Hemrick immediately called the Collier County Elections Office. This voter uh, did the right thing and contacted the Supervisor of Elections Office to get accurate information. Uh, my understanding is that uh, that situation was resolved appropriately and that that voter was able to vote. And finally, a pissed off Florida woman is accused of urinating on her husband as he slept. The victim told Pinellas County deputies he and his wife, 48-year-old Heather Smith, were on their cabin cruiser when they got into an argument. According to the arrest report, Smith waited until he was asleep before opening the hatch over the boat's interior cabin and, shall we say, marinating her hubby before biting him on the stomach. She is charged with domestic battery. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.